John 13 and verse 31. We're going verse by verse to the book of John. Uh, we looked at a sermon last week entitled Lessons from the Last Supper. The disciples here are still in the upper room and Judas has just been sent out in verse 30 uh, where he'll go and betray Jesus. We get to verse 31. The Bible says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Let little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. Ye shall seek me, as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, New commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter saith unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus saith unto him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. The title of the sermon this evening is this, The Trademark of a Christ Follower. If you are a follower of Christ, there are some things that should be very evident and clear in your life. Lord, help me tonight as I preach. Help the, each one in the pew as they listen and Lord, we pray that uh, the Bible would, would be heralded forth and the truth of the Scriptures would resonate in our hearts. And so, Lord God, help us to fully understand the passage, and not only on an intellectual level, but Lord, on a practical level, may we go forth and live it. Bless us now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. One definition for trademark is a distinctive mark or feature particularly characteristic of or identified with a person or thing. One example of this uh, definition would be this statement, her trademark is wit and sarcasm. Who am I describing tonight? Her, her trademark is wit and sarcasm. How many sitting near someone whose trademark is wit? And no one will have anybody with wit and sarcasm. In here, nobody wants to be embarrassed, all right? Uh, uh, his wit is right here. Uh, uh, his trademark is wit and sarcasm. Uh, so what is your trademark? What sets you apart and makes you, you? Some are sentimental and down to earth. Others are funny and fun to be around. Some are known as hardworking and determined. Other is no, others are known for their dry sense of humor, while yet others are known for being the candy man at church. Dave's not here tonight. I was hoping he'd be here. I thought that would maybe land, but Dave's not here. Dave's our church's candy man. Hey, I'm thankful for church candy mans. Every church I've been a part of has had a candy man, and uh, that sure it does help uh, when you're having a bad day. You go get some sweet tooth there. Uh, the list of identifiers could go on and on. Uh, what is it that sets you apart? How would people define you? If I were to say, hey, tell me about, and I were to put your name in the blank, what, would, what, what are the first things that come to mind? People that know you on a casual level and then people that know you on a deeper level. 
Some people are not known by funny or positive descriptors. Some people's trademark is a character flaw or a deep-rooted sin. Some are known as highly passive-aggressive. Some are known as being confrontational and in-your-face. Some are known as boastful, arrogant, proud, and condescending. Some are known as having a quick tongue that cuts others down. Some are known as a gossip, a spreader of secrets, and a separator of friends. Some are known as drug addicts. Some are known as drunks. Others as womanizers, and yet others as extremely loose with their morals. What is your trademark? How do people define you? What is it that stands out about the way you live your life? Hey, tell me about brother such and such. Well, I don't know. He keeps to himself and is reserved and just seems to always kind of be down and, 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 and in a bad place. Tell me about sister such and such. Oh, she's constantly in everybody's ear. You want to know the latest scuttlebutt? Go see her. She'll tell you. What is it that uh, defines you? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then there are some things that ought to define who you are. In fact, if someone were to say, tell me about, and your name was put in there, these descriptors should be toward the top of the list. Because you are a follower of Christ. And because these behaviors are Christ's behaviors, and these behaviors are instructed to you and me, we should be quick, uh, th- people should be quick to identify them in you and I. Uh, listen, I know that we all want to be unique, right? We all want to be different than everybody else. But when it comes to these things, we should all have these trademarks, these identifiers uh, listed with us. So Jesus gave a list of these uh, type of trademarks or identifiers here as he's washing their feet. Uh, And uh, he had sent Judas out to go and betray him. And now he's going to challenge his disciples as he prepares to go to Gethsemane and then to Gabbatha and then to Golgotha and onto the grave. He would then resurrect into his glory where he would then ascend to the right hand, uh, to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. What is it that he told them here at this last supper, right before they left to go to Gethsemane, there are some distinctive behaviors that should cause you to stand out from the world around you. And as I read these uh, nine verses, I see three distinct uh, trademarks that should be seen in the life of a Christian. So let's look at these three uh, together this evening as we consider this sermon title, The Trademark of a Christ Follower. Number one, notice Christ followers, they lift up Christ. Trademark number one, they lift up Christ. Look at John 13 with me and look at verse number 31. The Bible says, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify 
Him. Wow, that's a lot of times to see the word glorify or glorified in just two short verses. It's almost as though a weight was lifted off the shoulders of Jesus as soon as Judas departed from the room. He looks past the hardship that he's getting ready to endure and uh, the suffering that he's going to have to endure. He looks past that to a future where he would be in his glorified state and he would be high and lifted up. Letter A, notice the valley he would endure. The valley that he would endure. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Hold your place in John chapter 13 and make your way over to Philippians chapter number 2. Here Jesus is troubled in his spirit. He's just sent Judas out to go and betray him. And uh, Judas was not forced out of the room. Judas made those choices on his own. He left of his own free will to go and betray Jesus. And now Jesus is looking past that, that dark shadow of pain that he'll have to suffer and he's looking to a day where he'll be glorified on the other side. But before he could stand on that mountaintop, he would have to first walk through the valley of endurance and pain. Look at Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So uh, turn over to Luke 22. Here we see that uh, the mind of Christ is that of humility. The mind of Christ is that of, uh, let's see here, is that of uh, a, a heart that desires to do right and a heart that desires to even suffer if necessary for the betterment of others. The Bible said back in Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He, he, he was uh, bound to that cross, and he died the death of the cross, Jesus would leave that upper room, and he would go to the Mount of Olives. And uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, we find Jesus in a state of, of pain and emotional turmoil. Look at verse 39, and he came out and went, and as he was wont uh, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him, and when he was at that place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed. Look at this prayer Jesus prayed there in that garden, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. We know the valley that he would have to endure. There awaiting his arrest and his eventual beating, and then the nailing to the cross. Oh, the pain and suffering. The physical, the physical whipping he would take. The emotional knowledge that all of those people he had loved and touched 
Where would be the blind eyes that he had healed? Where would be the deaf ears that he had given hearing? Where would be the lepers that he had cleansed? Where would be the dead he had raised back to life? Where would be those people to stand between him and his arrest or him and his death? They would be in hiding and some of them maybe would even join the crowd to throw stones at him and insult him. Jesus would have to humble himself and become obedient unto death. Before Jesus would be glorified in heaven, he first had to humble himself and endure the agony of the cross. He who is innocent suffered for us the guilty. He who he was separated from God so that we could be united back with God. This was the cup. He endured our condemnation so that we could know His coronation. There Jesus sits in the upper room knowing that He is about to endure the passion of the cross. Yet He talked about His glory. Letter B, we see the mountaintop He envisioned. The mountaintop He envisioned. Back in John 13, verse 31, it says, Therefore, when He was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glory him, uh, glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. Uh, has Jesus been glorified? Oh, yes, He has. Philippians 2, we read about His humiliation and the agony of becoming obedient to the death of the cross. But Philippians 2, verse 9 continues where it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ had to endure great suffering, but now He has been lifted up. Watch this. He was first lifted up on a tree, but now He's lifted up in heaven. He is high and exalted. He sits on His throne. He is glorified so that everybody can worship Him. So that everyone uh, will honor Him. So that every knee can bow and every tongue can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of His suffering, He's now been glorified. I love Psalm 110 and verse 1. I love Old Testament passages that show us a duality of the persons of Christ. God is one being, yet He's three persons. And in Psalm 110 and verse 1, we find a God the Father and God the Son having a conversation. The Lord, if you turn over there and look at it, the first Lord is capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, speaking of Jehovah God, speaking of God the Father, the Lord said unto my Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Hear me out now. God is glorified in heaven, but one day God will not just be glorified in heaven. He'll be glorified before every being that's ever lived, both alive today, alive in the future, and those who've already passed. One day the sea will give up its dead, and hell will give up its dead, and one day the living will be taken before God, and one day the angels in heaven and every
every being in heaven will come one at a time and will bend a knee and declare Jesus Christ to be God to the glory of the Father. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and the earth will become Jesus' footstool. How about Revelation 5? Turn over to Revelation chapter 5. Look with me at verse number 1. I love this passage here. John is caught up in the vision in Revelation and he is looking at up at uh, 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 he's looking at heaven as this great event happens. Revelation 5. Look with me at verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. This is the title deed to earth. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. John says, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. To open this book, you would have had to be perfect. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took a book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. He is the Lion of Judah. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. Uh, He is worthy to open the scroll one day. uh, People from every nation and tribe and tongue will sing and praise His name. For Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive power and glory and honor and praise one day if you're a child of God. You will sing and proclaim in His presence, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him, Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him, Lord of all. Let's not wait, church, until we get to heaven to do this. Let's not wait till we get to heaven to declare that He is Lord of all. What trademarks... Christ, uh, 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 what trademarks Christ's followers? They lift up Christ. They proclaim His death for the sin of mankind. They proclaim His resurrection from the dead. We do not hold up a dead Jesus. We hold up a Jesus who is alive forevermore. A Jesus whose tomb is empty right now. He is in heaven. He is in His glory. And this is who we preach and proclaim. That word gospel means what? It means good news. Good news. You know what you do with good news? You sit on it. You keep it to yourself. You're embarrassed by it. You, you, shh. Don't don't tell anybody the good news. Is that what you do with good news? No! You herald it. You proclaim it. You share it to your friends. You share it with your family. You discuss it at church. You discuss it at the stores. You discuss it everywhere you go. Why? 
Because when the world looks at you, they should say he or she is busy glorifying the Savior. Is that what they say about you or do they say he or she wants nothing to do with others knowing about their church? That's just a secluded, quiet part. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Do your friends know? Do your, do your acquaintances and co-workers know? Do they say he or she is in love with Jesus? What is a trademark of a Christian? They lift up Christ. Number two, they love each other. They love each other. Look down with me at John 13 and look with me at verse number 33. Now, from what I can find in my study of the Bible, this is the first time Jesus has called his disciples little children. Now, John will go on and use this term over and over again in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But look at verse 33. And Jesus speaks to them as though they're little children because he's going to tell them something that they can't quite comprehend. How many of you here that are parents or anyone here that's worked with children have, have thought to yourself, I'm going to try to explain this, but this is beyond their ability to comprehend. That's kind of what's going on here. Look at 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you... Uh, New commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Letter A, notice love's impulse. Love's impulse. Verse 34, Jesus says this is a new commandment. A new commandment, that ye love one another. A new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, uh, so that you go on and love one another. What is our impulse to love? Why is it that we love one another? Why? Because Christ first loved us. You know what 1 John 4, 9 says? You know what part of it says? Let me read it for you. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him, hearing His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And when I think about love's impulse, the reason why I love God so much is not because I just woke up one day and decided to love God. I love God so much because one day someone explained to me on a profound level how much God loved me when I was unlovable. There was nothing lovable about me and there was nothing lovable about you. But God looked down in your wretched, broken sin. We looked at Romans 5 this morning and saw and verse 10, how that you and I are declared to be the enemies of God, yet God looked down while you were unlovable, while you were wretched, while you were broken, while you were sinful, and while you were His enemy. And He said, I love Him, I love her anyway. Why is it that we love each other? Because we dwell under the fountain of God's love and we turn around and we give that love to each other. Love's impulse, love's Impulse. What is it that drives me and you to love others? It is a great idea for me and you to go back to the foot of Calvary and uh, to bend a knee there and to behold our Savior up there on that tree dying for me and you. It's a good idea to go to that empty tomb and realize that it's empty and realize that there are still piercings and there are still wounds in His hands and His feet where He shed His blood and died for me and you. He did that because He loves us. Us, and that ought to drive us to love each other. 
Love's impulse, letter B, love's impact. Look with me at verse 35 of John 13. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now remember, just a few minutes earlier in this upper room, these disciples had got into an argument about which one was the greatest. We looked at that last week. Jesus broke bread. He passed around the, the cup with the, the vine juice. And, and, and He said, take, eat, this is my body. And, and drink, this is my blood, uh, which is shed uh, for you. And, and, and then He says, someone in here is about to betray me. And that led into a discussion about which one of them was the greatest. What did Jesus do while they were discussing that? He got up and began to wash their feet and say to them, A servant is not greater than his Lord. If I will do this for you and I am your master, then you should be willing to do this for each other. Then Judas leaves and Jesus turns around and says to them, You need to learn how to love one another. What was Jesus saying to these eleven men? He was saying, You all bicker and argue a whole lot about who is the greatest among you. When I leave, I won't be here to tell you to quit your squabbling. But I want you to love each other. I can see him looking at Peter and John and saying, I know you have personalities that are polar opposite. Love each other. How about Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector? I can see him looking at the two of them and possibly saying, I know you two come from very different backgrounds. Love each other. I can see him looking at daring Andrew and doubting Thomas and saying, I know you two see the world in very different ways, but when I'm gone, I want you two to love each other. As I put the sermon together, I asked God to help me right here to know how to convey this important and valuable truth because it becomes cliche that we love one another. We love one another. That's preached, that's been preached on a lot from this pulpit over the last a few years. And uh, just back in 2021, I believe it was, our theme was, our 2020, our theme was love works. And we went through first, second, and third John. And we talked about love's uh, uh, priorities and love's properties. And we went through all the series on love. And I preached a lot about loving each other, even this morning sermon about grace and giving grace to others and loving each other uh, through that grace. And I began to pray about how the Lord would help me to uh, uh, talk about this this evening. And my mind uh, came to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, which says this, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Here we're to love one another, but yet sometimes people can't seem to get along. There is a a contention that rises up. There is a, a, a friction that exists between uh, 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 saved people who live in the same abode or same home or a friction that exists between people who go to the same church. Have you ever heard someone say, I cannot get along with him or I cannot get along with her because we just have a personality clash? Have you heard that before? Have you ever thought that before or said that before? I sure have. I just can't get along with him or her because we have a personality clash. I thought about that statement a handful of months ago, and here's the conclusion I have come to. There is no such thing as a personality clash. There isn't. 
I have known people of about every personality type, and I have seen people of just about every combination get along. If you're not getting along with somebody, it isn't because you have a personality clash. It's because you have a pride clash. The Bible doesn't say only by personalities cometh contention. It says only, and that word only means what? It means only. Only by pride cometh contention. Let's not hide behind this, well, you know, we have a personality clash. No, one of you has a pride problem. Probably both of you have a pride problem, and that's why you can't get along. Jesus recruited men of all sorts of demeanors and backgrounds and styles and personalities. And you know what? He told them, love one another. Pride chooses to love self instead of the other person. Pride prefers me over you. Love prefers you over me. How about Romans chapter 12 verse 9? where Paul told the church at Rome, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation means hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? That means sometimes you and I love other people not because of uh, we actually love them. We're kind and caring to them because we have an ulterior motive of what we want to get out of them. Oh, I'm nice to them because they're nice to me. If that's your attitude, guess what? The moment they quit being nice to you, you're going to quit being nice to them. Well, I'm nice to them because you know what? They have lots of money. And if I'm nice to them, maybe they'll give me some of that money. Oh, we would never say that out loud, but deep down inside... Well, I'm nice to them because you know what? They fit a social status and there's a friendship there that we enjoy. I want to ask you a question. If your friend quit being nice to you, would you still love them? Let love be without hypocrisy. Take your Bibles to Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Love's impact. If, if we could get this church to be filled with members who go home and love each other at home without hypocrisy, without dissimulation. If we could get people in this church to go home and love each other the way uh, that Christ loves you, we would have the greatest marriages and the greatest uh, parent-child relationships. We'd have the finest children walking planet earth. If we could get church members to deeply love each other more than they love themselves and uh, put each other first above their own uh, convenience and comfort, guess what we'd have? We'd have the most mature church in America. In fact, this morning I talked about extending grace to people who were unkind to you. That was the essence of the entire sermon of turning the other cheek. And I said, if we could get this down, we would be the most mature church. You know what drives that? The love of God drives that. Look at Galatians 6. Look at verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Alright, look up here at me. Do you want to be spiritual? I didn't ask you if you are spiritual. Do you want to be spiritual? Hey, I'm not always spiritual, but I want to be spiritual. Amen? Ye which are spiritual. So, this behavior that comes next is for someone 
who is spiritual. Look back here. Uh, Brethren, if a man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, I love this, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I see someone is struggling in sin. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to ignore it. I see that there's a sin that's entrenched in their life, and it's hurting them. You know what I need to do? I need to get on my knees and I need to pray for that person. I need to ask God to give me a heart that's right toward them and toward God. And then in a spirit of meekness, I need to come along their side. Now notice, when I come along their side, I'm not condescending down to them. You are a wicked person. I'm here to tell you where you're wrong. No, 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 no. I'm coming by their side and I'm wrapping my arm around them and I'm saying, hey, brother or sister, I love you so much. How can I help you bear this burden and overcome this struggle and help you gain victory in this area? You see, this is love's impact. It's not a, you're a wicked sinner uh, and, and, and you need to be reprimanded in church disciplined. No, it's a, I love you. Christ loved me, and He's given me so many chances. How can I come along your side, and how can I help you? Some people are going to be in denial about their wrongdoing. You have to pray for God's wisdom to help you in that. Love's impact. We bear one another's burden. Sometimes what that means is that you don't even have to confront them. You know someone has a struggle. You get down on your knees, and you intercede for them in prayer for a long time. Some of you in here have a spouse that's difficult to be married to. They have, they have behaviors that are hurting you in your home. And Pastor Lejeune, what should I do? Should I confront them on that? There might be a time for that. Can I tell you what you should always do? Is get down on your knees and pray for them. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman, it avails much, availeth much. Get on your knees. Listen, there have been a handful of things in our marriage that I have changed in, in, uh, with Angela. And you know what? I found out later she was on her knees praying for me. Was there a confrontation? Maybe a light one. But after that confrontation, there were hours on her knees praying that God would change my heart. There have been things in Angela's life. I married her. She'd only been saved a couple of years. There have been things in Angela's life. I got down on my knees and I prayed God would work in her heart. And the Lord helped move her and grow her and mature her in the Lord. And the, the, the faithful prayer of a meek, righteous, spiritual man or woman, it avails much. It is the law of Christ. How about Hebrews, or rather Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, where the Bible says, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. I'm not looking to expose someone's sin. I'm looking to cover their sin with love. I'm not looking to cover up. I'm looking to cover them in love. I'm covering sin. You say, I am a follower of Christ. Well, then this means that you are known as a person who prefers others over yourself. You are someone who loves your brother or sister in Christ the way that Christ so sacrificially Loves you. John thirteen thirty five. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Trademark number one, they lift up 
Christ. They lift up the glorified, resurrected Christ. They love each other. Uh, trademark number two. Trademark number three. They are loyal to Christ. They are loyal to Christ. John chapter 13 and verse number 36. Would you look back there with me at John 13. The Bible says there, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. Thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter saith unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Letter A, we see Peter's self-deceit. Peter's self-deceit. And Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? I, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, Peter, you can't come where I am going, at least not now. You will go there at later, but right now it's not the time. What was he talking about? He's talking about death. He's talking about the cross. And we do know that Peter eventually would be nailed to a cross, but it wasn't yet time for him to do that. And Peter said, Lord, I'll follow you to the death. And Jesus said, no, you won't, Peter. You're, you're going to deny me. And Jesus told the Jewish leaders that they likewise could not go where he was going. Where was he going? He was going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. This was only something Jesus could do. He alone is perfect. Peter, let me be clear, Peter was loyal to Christ. Peter gets a bad rap for denying Christ there by the campfire. Peter was loyal to Christ. He was in the inner circle of Christ's disciples. Peter left behind his career, his comforts, his family, in order to be on Jesus Christ's team. Listen now, he slept under the stars. He pulled coins out of fish's' mouth, mouths in order to pay taxes. On a regular basis, he had dealt with hostile Pharisees in order to defend his Jesus. Peter was loyal to Jesus. But there was one more defining trademark of Peter that he had not yet shook from his previous life. Peter was arrogant. And this pride led to self-deceit. And I believe this, the number one sin that you and I battle with is pride. It's pride. You and I have no idea the level of pride that lives inside of our hearts. If you look for it, you'll see it. But many of us are filled with pride and that pride keeps us from being who the Lord would have us to be. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Numbers 32.23, Moses told the Israelites, he said, But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. The sin of pride lives inside of all of us and can creep out and attack any one of us at any given time. You and I are called to be loyal to our Lord and Master. 
We should never be ashamed of Him. We should never be ashamed of Him. Are you loyal to Jesus? He's loyal to you. Are you ashamed for other people to know that you are a Christ follower? Follower? Pastor, surely not in a room like this. There would be anybody like that. If, if, if Peter can fall in that trap, don't you think you and I can fall in that trap? Don't you think you and I can deny Christ with the way we live or the way we talk? If it could happen to Peter, don't you think it could happen to us? Letter A, we see Peter's self-deceit. Letter B, we see the Christian's self-denial. Look back at verse 38, John 13. Jesus saith unto him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And we've looked at that story a number of times of Peter denying Christ there by the campfire in these recent weeks. He was not able to deny himself when he should have. Let's finish the sermon in Philippians 2. We began there. Let's go back there. Philippians 2. I'd like for us to look at the first five verses of Philippians 2. The first four verses of Philippians 2 define for us the mind of Christ. And then after the definition, we get an example that follows verse 5. Or you could say the first four verses are the explanation of the mind of Christ. And then verse 6 through 11 is the example of the mind of Christ. Look with me at verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, or any prize in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. And if you mark in your Bibles, underline this phrase, that ye be like-minded. That ye be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Read verse 3 with me. Ready? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's the mind of Christ. We deny ourselves for the betterment of others. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man on the things of others. Read verse 5 with me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A follower of Christ is trademarked by this word, humble. Hey, tell me a little bit about... Put your name in the blank. Is one of the first words that comes to mind about you the word humble? Are you self-aware enough to even know that? Or would someone say, proud or humble? Eh, proud. Submissive or rebellious? Eh, rebellious. Would you say that they are quick to share their faith or they don't talk about it a whole lot? Eh, I don't know. I've never heard them talk about it. You see, Jesus looks at His disciples and He makes a big deal about His own glory. Then he looks at them and says, go forth and love each other. And then he says this, he says, he says this, be loyal to me. Be loyal to the end. We see here that we're to esteem others and we're to esteem Christ. 
What are the trademarks of a Christ follower? They lift up Christ. They love each other. They are deeply loyal to Christ. What trademarks you? Are you selfish or selfless? Are you proud or humble? Are you shallow and vain? Or are you real? May God give us a church full of Christ followers that are in line with this new commandment to love others. Lord God, I pray tonight you would stir our hearts. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Put your finger on our pride. Expose it. Lord, every problem in our church is a pride problem. Every problem in our homes is a pride problem. Oh, Lord God, I can't change anyone else's pride, but I can deal with my own. When the world looks at me, I want them to see a man who lifts you up, who loves others, and is loyal to my God. Lord, where I fall short, show me, convict me. I pray each one tonight would have the Spirit of God deal with their hearts on these topics. Lord, if these words were important enough for you to share them with your disciples, just as you got ready to go be arrested, words sure are important to us. Help us to take them to heart. Lord God, work in each person's life this evening. In Jesus' name.